Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. Uh, they say whenever a guest speaker comes in, you got to show them your family because otherwise they won't listen to you. Let me show you my better half. Uh, this is like Pastor Bradipa and I married up and I got two girls. So they're, they're not yet dating, but when they do, I'll, I need to buy a gun. So please help me up, some of you. Uh, I wish I was kidding. Uh, I want to encourage you today. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to give you Jesus. You guys ready for that? You guys ready for God's word? Uh, when you see Nehemiah chapter one on the screen, someone shout amen. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. You got to say it like a, there's popcorn in your throat. <laughs> in the month of Kislev in the 12th year, this is uh, the calendar year for context is November, December time frame. This is a thousand years after Moses, 400 years before Jesus. Uh, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is modern day Iraq. Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the, the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I got a simple message simply titled this, pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. Pick it up. I'm going to have you say this phrase multiple times. Say, Let me just practice one more time. Someone say, pick it up. I believe it's going to be a prophetic declaration over yourself that God wants you to pick something up or I should say someone in your life. Can we pray? God, thank you so much, Lord, that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, God. We read many books, Lord, but the Bible is the only word that read, reads us, God, because it's alive. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, we may have walked in one way in Kalos, but we want to walk out another. We want to look like you. We want to talk like you. We want to love like you, Jesus. If you believe that everybody said... Everybody said, amen. Any foodies in the house? Anyone love food? I'm a big time foodie. I know I don't look like it. Because partly because God gave me this spiritual gift where I eat and other people gain weight. It's awesome. But I'm a big time foodie. I, I'm Silicon Valley born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. And uh, Silicon Valley, if you don't know this, there are more millionaires in San Jose than any other city in America. There's this road called Page Mill Road. There are more billionaires on that road than any city in the world. When I say there's a lot of money, there is a lot of wealth in Silicon Valley. But not only that, we're the most pagan people in America. 98 to, to 96 to 98% unchurched. So put that in perspective. Imagine you went to the mall today after, after church and you shook the hand of 100 people. 98 of them in Silicon Valley would be far from God. Incredible. And yet, most people don't know this about Silicon Valley. Not only Facebook and Apple and Google, all these companies started there, 30% of the Bay Area is Hispanic, which just means we have the best Mexican food in the world. Amen. But because half of the, the Bay Area is foreign-born, we do crazy things like uh, Mexican fusion. So like, there's this restaurant in our city where they've fused Indian food and Hispanic food. Think quesadillas with chicken tiki masala. It's crazy. Preach. There's this one place that has fused Japanese food with Mexican food. Sushi Rito, unbelievable. My favorite spot, I don't know how they did it. I, I get verklempt just thinking about it. 
They have fused Hispanic food, listen, with heaven. It's called Taco Bell. Have you heard of it? <laughs> and the reason why I mentioned that is because when I went to school, it's in a rural town called Cal Poly, farm town. In the Bay Area, they lower the car to make it go fast. At Cal Poly, they raise it to go, to go slow. Uh, before the hipsters wore skinny jeans, cowboys in San Luis Obispo were wearing Wranglers. It's a very, very different town than San Jose. There are no Walmarts. There are no drive throughs There's no Costco. And listen, there is no Mexican food in the city. Four years of suffering for the name of Jesus. <laughs> there are two spots, though, and I, I avoided both of, both of them. One of them was a Carl's Jr. and Greenberg. Anyone ever seen one of those? Yeah, if you eat it, something green is going to come out. So I... <laughs> I did not go. The other spot was a place called Chili Peppers. And every day for four years, I drive by this place called Chili Peppers. We have this language in our culture called like hole in the wall. Anyone ever heard of that? Yeah. But you got to understand, this is like 2000, 2001. Yelp didn't exist. So to go into this restaurant, you're literally risking your life. <laughs> but one day I got tired of Jamba Juice. I got tired of Subway. I said, I need a quesadilla for the glory of Jesus. So I go in this spot, and it's a typical spot. Like, you have to wipe your feet before you leave. It's so dirty. You know what I'm talking about? You need a hazmat suit to use the restroom because, like, you might catch something. And, and, of course, the very first time I eat it, it's the best Mexican food I've had in my life. It was so good. I'm like the, the marketing evangelist for this place. I'm, like, inviting people. I'm bringing my coworkers, my friends you got to try this place called Chili Peppers. And one time I'm, we're in line and with my friend, I'm like, bro, I'm hyping this place up. And we're looking into the kitchen and the, one of the ladies in the back, she's stirring this big pot of beans and she thinks no one's looking until she pulls the, the spoon out, puts it into her mouth and then sticks it back in. And so my friend's like, I'm out. And he leaves. And of course I stay in line and I say, I need a super burrito, no beans, please. No beans. <laughs> And the reason why I mention that story to you is because we all know those experiences. We see the business. We see the building. It looks ugly until someone else tells us there is beauty on the inside. We don't go in. But the purpose of my sermon this morning is we don't just do that with buildings and restaurants. It's on your screen. We do that with people. People whose skin color is different than us. People who shop at places that we wouldn't shop. People who vote the way that we would never vote. People who worship a God that we wouldn't worship. And the same way that I drove past that business for three years because I saw no value, I saw no worth, we do the exact same thing with people. We see no value, we see no worth, because on the surface it looks ugly. But if you saw what God saw, you would care the way God cares. And really what I want to tell you, that the context of Nehemiah is that. That there was something ugly on the outside, but God sees beauty. Someone say, pick it up. That's what God wants to do this morning. And the story of Nehemiah, it's on your screen. He's, he's, a, he's a normal dude. I love the Old Testament because there's three types of leaders. There's a prophet, priest, and a king. Nehemiah is none of those. He's a normal dude. should encourage some of you because Pastor Pradeepan and I, we're paid. Like, we're paid to pray. We're paid to be holy. We're paid to be good. We're not like you guys who are good for nothing. It's just different, right? <laughs> Nehemiah is one of those guys. He's a normal dude. And you got to understand, he's actually a slave a thousand miles from home. 
If you look at the story of Nehemiah, it's 444 BC. You gotta understand the context and the history of Israel. They are flirting with other gods. They have abandoned Yahweh. And God says, if you don't want me, that's okay. I'm gonna let you have what you want, which is not me, by the way. And often we think God is cursing us. God never curses his people. When his hand is upon you, it's the blessing. But when he pulls it away, it's not that he's cursing you, it's just he's removed his blessing. And God removed his blessing on Israel. And they've been attacked three times by the Babylonians. And every time the Babylonians came in, they tore down the walls and they burned the gates with fire. And they kidnapped people and brought them back to Iraq, which is modern day uh, Susa in the story. This is where we get the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is that time period where not only did the exiles survive, they thrived. That should encourage some of you in this room. You may talk about how unchurched Seattle is or how unchurched Silicon Valley is, but if God can use three men who stood up against a godless king, he can do it in Seattle, amen? He's just looking for some people who want to stand up for him. But you got to understand that the, who Nehemiah is working for. It's this Persian king called Artaxerxes, and many Bible theologians and commentators think that the Persian people are like very, very good looking. And if I say yes, that's biased. And if I say no, God would be angry with me for lying. So I'm saying, I don't know. I've heard the rumors. I don't know if it's true. But let me show you the walls of Jerusalem. Let me just show you real quick. These are the walls of Jerusalem. These are these massive walls that have been broken. And you need to understand, these are not like, like, a, a, like a door, like protecting like a fence for your house. These are the walls of Jerusalem. And the question that you need to ask is, when did these walls come down? Watch with me, verse Nehemiah 1, verse 3. says, they said to me, these things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and its gates have been destroyed with fire. And the question is, when did this happen? Why is Nehemiah so distraught? Did this happen a month ago? Did this happen a year ago? Did this happen five years ago? Listen, this happened 141 years ago. Which begs the question, why is Nehemiah crying about something his grandmother experienced? For example, let's say I came up to you this morning and said, guys, did you hear the news? Our 20th president was assassinated, James Garfield. No one's crying. But yet, that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He hears something that his grandfather and grandmother experienced, and the moment he hears it, he begins to weep. Watch these words. When I heard, someone say heard. Heard things he already knew. Every Jew knew that the walls of Jerusalem were broken. So why is Nehemiah crying about something his grandfather experienced? And that's the thing I want you to understand. God's the only one who can take old news and he makes it new news. God's the only one that can take something you already know and then break your heart for it. Where Nehemiah, you got to realize he's not crying because of broken bricks. That's not the, he's not crying for brick and mortar. The walls of Jerusalem are the identity of the people of God. When the walls are broken, their identity is broken. When the walls are broken, protection is broken. When the walls are broken, not only is their identity and protection, you can't start a business, you can't start a family. Nehemiah's crying for broken people, not for broken bricks. And in the same way, not only do we drive by chili peppers because we see no value, Nehemiah knew that the walls of Jerusalem were broken, listen, and he simply didn't care. And I love where God breaks his heart because you will find relevance for many of you in this room today. Verse 11 says this, I was cupbearer to the king. Someone say cupbearer. You're not going to find this job on LinkedIn, by the way. All you people in tech, I was in tech for 14 years. You're not going to get a recruiter. We have the perfect job. Benefits, cupbearer. <laughs> right? What is a cupbearer? You drink 
and eat before the king does. And if the king's on a keto diet, you have to do that five times a day. <laughs> and the job of a cupbearer, listen, you're looking for poison. Pastor Ali, what happens if you find the poison? Well, you meet Jesus. <laughs> and you thought your job was stressful. <laughs> and so here's Nehemiah having the best food in the country, drinking the best champagne, the best wine, the best tacos for the glory of Jesus. And his people are in ruin and he doesn't care. And Jerusalem has been broken for 141 years. And this man is living in comfort, not caring about God's people. And let me tell you, before Nehemiah weeps, there's a God in heaven who is weeping for the people of Israel. And I think that there's so many parallels between Nehemiah and the people of Bellevue. Some of you, you came here for a tech job. You're making crazy money. And let me remind you, God did not bring you here to make money or to build a 401k. That's called the American dream. God wants his God dream for you. Amen? Amen. And the problem is that we walk by people, we live by people, and their lives are broken. And we don't care. And so what I'm hoping to do this morning is to tell you something you already know. But simply whisper that the believe by God that he will whisper into your ear. Pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. up. And you'll begin to care for the things that God cares about. Amen? Amen? Three principles from the book of Nehemiah. Principle number one is simply this. Before you talk to men about God, you got to talk to God about men. When I'm believing that God, as I'm speaking, especially when Pastor Brady been talking about Easter, it's there's two times during the year where you can bring someone to church and they won't say no. Christmas and Easter. Yeah. Easter is in four weeks from now. Who are you bringing? And often we'll get like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. And you will want to go tell them today what God spoke to you in this room. And I'm telling you, before you talk to them about God, you first need to do this. Before you talk about it, you need to pray about it. Before you put it on the gram, you need to put it on your knees. And often we don't realize when God gives you a God vision, a a frustration with what is and a passion for what can be, it doesn't require immediate action. It requires immediate patience. I can prophesy over you, prayer is the work. This, this This is the hard part. Can I tell you what the easy part is? Can you come to church with me? That's the easy part. But the question is, will you pray and fight in the spirit for what that person needs? And what I love about the the story of Nehemiah, every Jew would read this every single morning and every single evening. It's called the prayer of Shema. Every Jew was taught to to pray this prayer. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Someone say one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Every Jew, often by the age of 12, would memorize the first five books of the Bible. We memorize Justin Bieber albums and Taylor Swift albums. These people would memorize the first five books of the Bible. And they would pray this prayer, listen, every morning and every night. And Daniel, during this time period, he would pray three times a day. In the morning, noon, and night. His prayer was so influential, so impactful to the people of Israel. The Pharisees, in the days of Jesus, they said, if you want to be super spiritual, you got to pray like Daniel. And they imposed, everyone needs to pray three times a day. That's why the early church, they prayed three times a day. That's why when you read the book of Acts, Peter and John, they're going to the Bible. It says they were there to pray at the ninth hour. There's no verse in the Bible that tells us to pray at the ninth hour. That's what Daniel did. So the reason I'm telling you all this is because every Jew prayed. So the fact that the Bible is telling us that Daniel or Nehemiah is praying, that's like saying water's wet or the, the sun is hot. It's trying to tell you for the very first time in Nehemiah's life, he is developing a prayer life. Wow. 
Watch this verse with me. Nehemiah 1, verse 11. Lord, let your ears be attentive to the prayers of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. The man is the king. There are 12 chapters in the book of Nehemiah. There are 14 prayers. There are more prayers than there are chapters. Think about that. We often think of Nehemiah as the man who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He is the man who was the praying prophet. Let me tell you a statistic. The average pastor in America does this for four minutes a day. The reason that the church in America is weak is our prayer life is weak. And God wants to use you. There is someone in your life that is far from God. And before you talk to them about God, God wants you to talk to them, God about them. And there's a difference, it's on your screen, between a man who prays and a man of prayer. See, when you lose your job and your child has cancer, you know what happens to your prayer life? It shoots through the roof because you're desperate for God. You need him to show up. And often, if we can be honest this morning, the moment that thing goes away, your prayer life goes away. What I love about Nehemiah is in the good times and the bad, in success and in failure, this man is praying in every single chapter. And God wants to make you a man of prayer and a woman of prayer. I know this in my own life. Uh, that I didn't understand the distinction even though I was a pastor. Uh, our church, we did church online just like Pastor Pradeepin and Pastor Amaritha for a year online. It's like Netflix church. Anyone remember Netflix church? I still have PTSD from that time period. It looked like a fire. It sounded like a fire. It, didn't, it just didn't have heat. You know what I'm talking about? But in my city, all of the locations, every public school was closed. You could not rent a public building in our city for almost two years. So all of 2021 and all of 2022, we did church at 5 o'clock. Listen, the devil doesn't even show up at 5 o'clock at church. <laughs> we were hanging on by a thread. And then a year ago, January, someone gave us a $10 million building. Praise God. But it's like when you're in high school and your parents give you a car and you're broke, but you got a car. That's what it felt like. We literally had no money to the point where I would wake up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in a cold sweat. Are we going to survive? Are, are we going to make this? Because we did not have enough money. We had burned through it for two years trying to stay alive. And I remember on the Super Bowl Sunday a year ago, this gentleman comes to our church, stands in the back of the room, didn't really like the preaching. I don't blame him, by the way. And he wants to speak to me after church. I'm like, man, this guy doesn't really want to be here. He's not even sitting down. I'm like, okay, I'm like, sir, I, I would love to talk to you. Please let me just speak with the guests. I'll give you all the time that you want. Well, he couldn't wait more than five minutes and leaves immediately. And he speaks with Pastor Jago. I brought him here from our church. And I go, Pastor Jago, what did that guy want? He's like, he just wanted me to tell you that God hears your pastor's prayers. I was like, what? I kind of like, be honest, I'm going to be very honest. I just kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, okay, what does that even mean? And then I went home, and this was in the offering bucket. Look on the screen. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm not a drug dealer, okay? <laughs> and I say that because I, I don't count large, like, piles of money. I look at this, I go, Psh, that's like $1,000, so I do this, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And even though I went to public school, I know that's a lot of money, right? <laughs> I go, if that's a thousand, that's a lot of money. And those were all hundreds, by the way. It was $20,000 in cash. 
And the crazy part, look, there was no name. So either it was an angel or a drug dealer. <laughs> I don't care. And let me just declare, if you are a drug dealer, we would, Kalos Church would love your offering this morning. <laughs> In Jesus' name. But can I be honest? As soon as the money came in, my prayer stopped. And four months later, when the pressure came back, I went back to praying like crazy. And immediately God said, if I answered all of your prayers, Allie, would you still talk to me? That's the difference between being a man of prayer and a man who prays. No matter what. I, I need you, before God wants to do something great through you, he wants to do something great in you. Number one, God, before you talk to men about God, talk to God about men. You ready for principle number two? God uses, always uses unqualified people. Now, here's what happens. Often when I'm preaching, people get excited, like on the edge of their seat, like, yeah, they get excited. I can't wait to share. And you walk out this room, like, no way God can use me. Because you get hope in here and get excited, and you're like, no, God can't use me. I'm not as smart as my coworkers. My neighbor, he, he knows I'm a Seahawks fan. He won't like me. And we make all these excuses about why God can't use us. And the moment you t say that, by the way, you tell me you've never read the Bible. Because the Bible is full of jokers, smokers, and midnight tokers in the Bible. <laughs> Crazy people. And if God can use them, listen, God can use you. Are you ready for a quick Bible study where I can convince you that God, the Bible is filled with crazy people. If you're crazy this morning, welcome to the club. You guys ready? Noah was a drunkard. He was so drunk, in fact, he got naked. And Genesis chapter 9, when he got naked, his family was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. They acted as if he had done it before. Think about that for a moment. The guy, the guy that God started over with would get so drunk, he would get naked. If you have addictions, God can use you this morning. Abraham was 100 years old when he was having his children. I don't want to ruin sex for you by describing that scene. But his wife was 90, and he was 100. So imagine the joy when his mom, his wife, for the first time in his life, is changing their baby's diaper. Isaac, the, the, the baby of promise, every morning she'd wake up with joy. I got to change his baby's, his baby's diapers. And then she'd roll over and change Abraham's diaper because he's 100. <laughs> Jacob was a liar. Joseph was a spoiled brat. Moses couldn't even speak because he had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson, oh my gosh, Samson had long hair. <laughs> there are two people in human history that God has used with long hair, Fabio and Samson. That means if you have long hair, you need to cut it for Jesus to use you. <laughs> Jeremiah was too young. King David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. That means if you're in depression, if you have anxiety, if you have mental health issues, and you think you're disqualified, God can use you even in your darkness. <laughs> Isaiah preached naked. That means I need to get biblical in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. Any business people that failed and think you're done, God's using you? No. John the Baptist ate bugs. He was a vegan. Only God can use vegans. I don't know how he does it. Peter denied Christ not once, but three times. The disciples, they were super spiritual. They fell asleep when they prayed. But you guys have never done that, right? Martha worried about everything, which was a sin. The Samaritan woman was not just divorced once, but five times. We stopped counting after the, we ran out of fingers on one hand. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. 
Timothy had ulcers, and my favorite character that God used, Lazarus. Dude was dead. <laughs> that means you don't even need to breathe for God to use you. So the moment you say, God can't use me, you've never read the Bible. And there's nothing in the text to suggest that Nehemiah earned this calling. He was not in the prayer closet. He was not in Bible college. He wasn't even in church. He was a thousand miles from home eating tacos and drinking wine. And God says, Nehemiah, pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. I believe with all of my heart, you were brought to Bellevue for a reason. It's not to build the American dream, but the God dream. And there are people in your life that you think you're unqualified. And if he can use Nehemiah and all those crazy people, he can use you. Amen? Amen. One last principle. And this one's my favorite. Nehemiah chapter 3, or principle number 3. God rebuilds with leftovers. I remember when I was in Bible college, I, I had this image in my mind of like Nehemiah. Like, he's like Bob the Builder, you know? Got a clipboard. and There's like a thousand trucks with construction trucks behind him. He's like, hey, unload the bricks over there. That's actually not what happened. Nehemiah showed up, and they didn't rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with new bricks. What they did is, there were all these broken bricks, and they took what was broken, and they reused the broken pieces to rebuild the walls. Because God uses leftovers. I wrote like this in my notes, God values worthless things. It's an oxymoron on purpose. See, God values this, the thing we step over every day, the thing we drive by, but for him it's priceless. And the way that the Jews did it for the building, we do it with people. You ever drive in Seattle, you see a pothole, you're like, ah, when are you gonna fix this pothole, Seattle? And like a week or later or a month later, you don't complain anymore, you just drive around it. The brokenness becomes normal. It just becomes part of your life. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken for so long, the brokenness became part of their life. Imagine if you're a Jew, you're walking your kid to school and you step over the wall. Daddy, why is the wall broken? Oh, it's always been broken. And the brokenness is, is now part of your identity. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, what's your it? What's that thing that you step over? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a relative. Can we be honest? Maybe it's your spouse. The day of your wedding was the best day of your life. Oh my gosh, I love you. Till death do us part. And now five years in, you're waiting for them to pass so you can part. Right? I'm a pastor. I know how it is. You're physically next to them, but you're emotionally distant. And you hold each other's hands, and you walk in with a smile on your face, and you go, how are you? Blessed and highly favored the Lord, how are you? <laughs> and what you really want is a new spouse. And what God wants you to do is to pick up the broken pieces of your marriage, and not a new one, but he does it with leftovers. Maybe some of you, Thanksgiving and Christmas is the worst time of the year for you because you're reminded of the brokenness of your dad, the brokenness of your siblings, and you long for a normal family. God, give me a new family. Maybe God wants you to be the Nehemiah of your family. 
Instead of a new one, he wants you to be the one that rebuilds it. There was this gentleman in my high school. Uh, there's a, a, a nine of us, by the way, that we would hang out all the time in high school by a tree, and we would call ourselves the tree group. Very original. <laughs> and uh, fast forward 20 years later, and we're still friends. It's crazy to me how most of us, we don't know our high school friends or our college friends, but here I am 20 years later with all these nine. And there are no Christians of the nine people in our tree group. There is, however, one dude in my high school. Uh, he is, I would describe him as the most racist, the most angry person. He, he was like voted most likely to like blow up a building in high school, right? Just crazy dude. And when we were in college, we would just hear these stories about him that like, it wasn't if he was gonna like pass out, it was when, like what hour. And he just was an angry person. He would drink all the time, would cuss people out, just was not a, a very nice dude. I remember, I, I don't really spend a lot of time on social media, but I remember at the time being on Facebook and hearing about him coming to faith and just being blown away. How did this person that none of us thought would ever be caught dead in a church, now Christ is in him? And I remember when Pastor Pradeepan asked me to come out and preach, I found out that he's actually in the Seattle area. I said, bro, can you come to one of these services and give your testimony? Because I think this church would be so blessed to see this crazy dude. Would you guys want to meet this guy? I, he's, I think he's in the lobby right now. Can I go get him real quick? You guys ready to meet him? Let's go. Let me get him real quick. Let me hand this mic and go get him. time I preach this, I get emotional. That dude is me. Because in, when I was 22 years old, I had a sister, and she was in Bible college. And she had been a Christian for five years. And she never once shared her faith with me. And God said, you have a brother who's far from me. You need to pick it up. And my sister would, I don't know how she did it, She'd fly from Oklahoma on a college salary. What do you do in college? And she'd drive three hours from San Jose to Cal Poly, where I was at school, to be my designated driver so that I can get drunk with my friends. And she was the first Christian that I ever met. And our relationship was kind of like Tom and Jerry, you know what I'm talking about? I would tell her she's adopted. Like we'd always like fight. But this time she was different. When I'd yell at her, when I'd be rude to her, she would absorb my lack of character. And I knew, I said, you, there's something different about you. And I'm in this room as a pastor because one person prayed for my salvation. I didn't share this in the other services, but for seven weeks, my sister would go to her youth group and they would pray every Wednesday for seven weeks. And that summer, I had dreams about God that were supernatural. And that's why as a church, we're praying for seven weeks for every person in our church that doesn't know Jesus. We can't reach them, but there's a God in heaven who can. 
And the best part about the story is not that I'm in this room because of my sister, but when I started my church, you have to understand, Asians in this room understand, you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, <laughs> or your dad kills you. All the Asians, are, that's like nervous laughter, like, ah, he's right. <laughs> so imagine when I wanted to plant a church, guess who I couldn't tell? My atheist father. So a whole family becomes Christian. For 18 years, we're praying. And I want to show you this picture of what God can do. My blind and deaf father got baptized in our church two years ago. One year before he went to heaven. The guy with the ace, that's my brother-in-law. The one next to her, that's my sister. She's the less good-looking one. The beautiful story about Nehemiah is he's not the hero. It's Jesus. Because he whispered in Nehemiah's ear, Nehemiah, pick it up. The hero of my salvation is not my sister. It's Jesus, because he whispered to her, pick it up. The hero of my father's salvation is not me and my family. It's Jesus, because he whispered to us, pick it up. And I need to tell you, when you start praying for your friends and they get saved because of you, you're not the hero. Can I explain to you the gospel using these bricks real quick? It's on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin. That means if Jesus was a brick, he was the only brick that wasn't broken. Why? Because all of us fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Our life, I wish I could break this brick on my knee. I'd probably break something. I'm not going to do it. But he became broken so that our lives could be put back together. He was the only brick that had no sin, and he chose to go on a cross to die for us. See, before Jesus says, go pick it up, he was the one that picked it up. He didn't send his love with a text message. He left heaven, sinless, perfect, God in the flesh. And he didn't sweep our sin under the rug. He took it upon himself, and the brick that was perfect became broken so that our lives could be rebuilt. The hero of ne the ne story of Nehemiah is Jesus. And he wants to use you to reach someone in your family, maybe at work or in your, or your neighborhood. Can we just pray real quick? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the story of Nehemiah. But God, we're in awe of the beauty of Jesus. You're the hero. God, you were weeping over Jerusalem long before Nehemiah was. God, the Bible is filled with crazy people that don't deserve to be used by you. You're such a good God, Lord. You always rebuild with leftovers. God, as long as we're breathing, that means we still have purpose. God, we heard your voice to pick it up. We want to pray. Got to pray for our family members in this room. Pray for coworkers, neighbors, Lord, that are far from God. I believe with all of my heart, God is putting someone on your heart right now. That the Spirit of God is whispering in your ear, pick it up. And before you invite them to church, can I encourage you to pray? Prayer is the work. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said? Amen, amen. Can we give it up for Pastor Ellie? Beautiful message. 
Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.